Proverbs. Appreciate uh, Brother Mark and Brother Chris and Brother Evan. They got us, they, they saved the day, literally. They got the lights back on. So, where is Evan? Where is he at? Brother Mark, thank you. Brother Chris, thank you. Now, I think I saw Evan somewhere, unless it was his angel. Is he here, brother? <laughs> okay. Yeah, there, okay. He's back there. All right. We appreciate it, getting us back into the light, man. They found a, a wire that was loose over here on this section of uh, lights. So some of y'all were sitting in the dark Sunday night, uh, but we have light. And I'm thankful because I was really concerned about that. When we have a whole roll like that down, that, that can be a problem, you know. So they found it. So I give the Lord praise and uh, tell them thank you for doing that. Amen. Heaven, thank you for getting those lights going, man. We really appreciate it. It's good to have Mary, uh, I see Longfellow, right? Is that right? We're glad you're here with us tonight. Amen, Mary. Everybody greet Mary. If... Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. God is a good God. Good to see everybody here tonight. Pray that you're doing well. It's cold outside. It's too cold too early, right? But that's West Texas. Be sweating 100 degrees one day and freezing cold the next. And, but that's, that's West Texas. Okay, Proverbs chapter 28, if you have it, say praise the Lord. I ask you to pray for me as I seek to teach the Word of God to you tonight. The book of wisdom in the Old Testament. Okay, verse 1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And I won't read all these verses, I'll pray and let you sit down. Father, we come before you right now. We ask God your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, uh, wisdom, teaching wisdom. The Word of God deals with, first of all, uh, first level of wisdom is social skills. So that's how you relate to people in life. Make good decisions, how to make good decisions, say the right thing. Have the right emotion. They're called social skills. Okay, so the book of Proverbs gives us a lot of teaching about how to live life, to how to have social skills. Second level is the ethical level. Ethics means how to live. Live good. How many of y'all want to live good? Amen. How many want to have a good life? Amen. Well, the book of Proverbs teaches you how to have the good life. Amen. If you'll live by the book of Proverbs, you'll have a good life. So... Ethical teaches you how to be good. And then the third and the highest level is to fear God. To have a relationship with the Lord God. Amen? So that's what the book of Proverbs teaches us. Social, ethical, and spiritual wisdom. So let's look at these verses again. They jump from different uh, subjects throughout the verses here. We'll just take one verse at a time. And uh, we'll do our best to teach them to you tonight. Amen. If you'll pray for me, okay? How many want to live the good life? How many want to have a good life? You want to have a good life. Okay, the Bible teaches us how. Okay, verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Okay, so what do we see here? We see somebody that's always on the run. There's some people in life that's all they do is run. 
Have y'all ever been runners before? I'm not talking about in track. I'm talking about in life. I mean, like you're just running and you're running and you're running. Uh, the thing about the Bible says right here is that this man is on the run, but they don't even know what they're running from. So what it's showing us here is there's a, there's a spirit, there's a cowardness that comes. Now, why do people run in life? Why are they like cowards in life and running when they don't even have anything chasing them? Because of sin. Sin produces guilt in your life. And when you have guilt in your life, then you become a coward. Okay, so that sin causes you to run when nobody's run, Nobody's chasing after you. You're just running and you're running and you're running. That's a sign of an evil person or wicked person. They're always running from one place to the other, one church to another church and so on in life. And they never stay put. And it's because of sin. Because the Bible says the wicked is the one that does that. But notice this, the righteous are as bold as a lion. In contrast to the wicked, the righteous are bold. they got courage. They're courageous. Why is that? Because they know when to take a stand. See, they believe the Word of God and they stand upon the Word of God. And so when life comes against them, they don't run. They don't run from life. Amen. They don't even have to run from God. Because they know they're in a right relationship with God. They take a stand on the Word of God. So they're, they're courageous people. They're bold. So they're stable. The man that's always on the run because of the sin in his life, he's not stable. So if you want to be stable in life, then you have to be a person that is rooted in the Word of God, standing on the Word of God, and you'll have stability in your life. Okay? Verse 1. Okay, verse 2. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. So it's even reaching into government now. Okay, we need knowledge and we need understanding in our life. Now, the Bible says because of sin, the sin of the land, many are the princes thereof. That means there's going to be an overturn of leadership. The reason why there's such an overturn in leadership today is because of transgression, because of sin that's in people's lives. So what is needed is knowledge and understanding. Now, verse 3, A poor man that oppresseth the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. Now, normally what you have is you have somebody that's not, not poor. They're rich. Normally the rich oppress the poor. The powerful oppress the weak. But now the Bible says something that is unnatural. We have an unnatural situation. We have the poor oppressing the poor. So there are some people that are poor. They won't show compassion to the poor people. You know, it's sort of like that. They've had a rough time in life. So what do they do? They take it out on somebody that's having a rough time in life. It's sort of like the pecking order. You know, there's a it talks, we talk about uh, being henpecked. You know what being henpecked is? That's when a, when a woman's always beating up on her husband. You with me here? Well, that's unnatural. That shouldn't be happening. We got the woman always, you know, beating up on the husband and causing trouble for the husband. Well, she's supposed to be the weaker vessel, right? She shouldn't be beating up on him. He shouldn't be beating up on her either. Correct? But what you have there is this mentality. Okay, this woman, if she's been mistreated 
you know, in her life that she's going to turn around and try to mistreat somebody else. So that's what happens. Sometimes you have a very unnatural situation where a poor person mistreats a poor person because they want to find somebody that they can torment, somebody that they can uh, create a problem for in life because they haven't been treated well. They want to take it out on somebody else. It's not a natural thing. The Bible says it's like a rain that comes and sweeps away the food. It's not a natural thing, okay? Now, pretty soon, you keep going down the ladder, so to speak, and you might be at the very bottom of the ladder, and you look around, and there's nobody for you to pick on. But the point is, that's the way fallen nature is in mankind. They always want to pick on somebody less than themselves. So even the poor person looks at the poor person, they're going to pick on them. Then that poor person is going to pick on somebody else, and they keep on going down the line, and then that person gets at the very end and says, well, I don't have anybody to pick on. But that's the way it is. That even, even happens in the animal kingdom. You know? It's just an unnatural situation the Bible is presenting here. A poor man that oppresses the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. There should be compassion. You should show compassion to each other. Amen? Verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Say, forsake the law. What is the law? Well, basically, it's the Word of God. So a person who forsakes the Word of God, they leave the Word of God, what are they going to start doing? Well, the Bible's very clear. They're going to praise the wicked. That means they're going to encourage each other in their sin. Okay? So what you'll find is that people, of, you know, or that old saying is, birds of a feather flock together. So you got some people that are on fire for the Lord, and they're going to get with people that are on fire for God. But then you're going to find people that are leaving God, leaving His Word, apostatizing away from Him. So what are they going to do? They're going to encourage. That's right, brother. They're going to encourage each other in their departing from the Word of God. You're going to, they're going to find friends, man. Birds of a feather flock together. So to make sure that you're hanging around the right people. Now the Bible says, but such as keep the law, contend with them. That means there is a rebuke that comes. So going back to the verses before about being courageous because you're standing on the Word of God. If somebody's not living by the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, you're not going to walk up there and pat them on the back and say, you're okay. You're not going to encourage them in their wrong. If you do what's right, if you live for the Lord, then you're going to be bold. And you're going to go to somebody that's not living right, and you're going to have the courage and the strength to tell them, you are not living according to the Word of God. Say amen. Praise the Lord. So we don't want to agree with people in their sin or encourage somebody in their sin. It's very dangerous to do that. Okay, go to verse 5. Evil men understand not judgment... But they that seek the Lord understand all things. Let me read again. Evil men understand not judgment or justice. That means they don't know what's right. I mean, they may be educated. They may be, have degrees in college. They may be professors in college. But that doesn't mean they have the ability to know what's right. See, the Word of God is, it tells you what is right and what's wrong. And if they don't get their knowledge and understanding from the Word of God, they're not going to know what's right. They're not going to know what's wrong. So the Bible's very clear here. Evil men understand not justice or what's right. But they that seek the Lord understand 
all things. And I'm thankful for that. Okay. So here's the thing about it. If you're in, you're in your life right now and there's some things you don't understand, if you go to God and you say, God, I don't understand. I need some wisdom. The Bible is very clear that God will come down and God will help you understand. Now, what He won't do is He won't come down to unbelief. He will not come down to rebellion. So if you and I have a rebellious heart, God's not going to come down to that. But in, in honesty and sincerity, if you're going through something in your life, you don't understand, you go to God and say, God, I don't understand. He will come down to you and give you understanding. The Bible is very clear about that right here. They that seek the Lord understand what? All things. God will tell you what to do. God will show you what you need to know. Amen? Okay, verse 6. Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. So where's the value in the Word of God? What does God put value on? Does it put a value on how much money you have? No. God's Word, God puts value on what kind of person you are. Not how much money you have. Look at it again, verse 6. Better is the poor that walketh in his what? Uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. So there's rich people there in this world, but they're not valuable. It's the kind of person that you are toward God and toward other people that makes you valuable in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, to give you an example of this, uh, Rockefeller, how many of you ever heard of Rockefeller? He was a billionaire. Okay? There was a time in his life where he accumulated all of this money. I mean, there was a time in his life he could make a million dollars a day. He was a billionaire. And before he was 53 years of age, he had all this money and all this wealth, but he didn't have any health. Before he was 53 years of age, he lost all of his hair. Even his eyelashes fell, his eyebrows fell out. His eyebrows right here fell out because he had what was called alopecia. Okay? So, he was a man that had a lot of money, but he was tormented. He was sick in his body. He was unhealthy. He could not sleep at night. He was tormented. Okay? But yet he had all this money. And so what he decided to do, if, I mean, if you were to see him out in the public, what I read, if you were to see him at 53 years of age, he looked like an old, sick man. You know, you can imagine, no hair on his head, no eyebrows, you know. Just sick, just tormented, can't sleep at night. He's got a lot of money. So what he decided to do is he decided to change the way he lived. And instead of being a man that was only getting money and getting money and getting rich and getting rich and accumulating a lot of money, he decided, I'm going to start giving instead of getting he started focusing on giving his money away. And when he retired, they said that he gave three times more, three times more money away than he retired with. How did that happen? Because he got in this cycle of giving instead of only trying to get all the time. Money started coming to him from every direction. So he was actually making more money when he was giving money away than when he was trying to hoard it. Okay, you with me? He lived up into his 90s. I believe it was 97 years of age when Rockefeller died. 
See? So it, it really depends on what kind of person you are. If you're the kind of person that all you are is just a hoarder and you want to get more money and it's all about you and you never give to anybody, then you don't have much value. All you have is money. But if you're a giver, see, even Rockefeller understood this. Do you know that his health came back? His health came back to him. I mean, he, he was in bad shape at 53 years of age. His health came back to him and he lived all the way up to 97 years of age. Just, be, just by changing his approach to life. See? So life is more than how much money you can put in the bank. Life is, are you healthy? Brother and sister, you can pay a price trying to get money. And the price can be your well, your health. It can be your walk with God. Amen? Let me see if I can find this verse. Go to Proverbs 23. Show you something interesting. <clears throat> you know, we're living right now, people are after the good life, right? So to speak. And they think money is going to give them the good life. It's what you do with the money. It's who you are as a person that's going to cause you to have the good life. Look at chapter 23 and verse 4 of the same book, Proverbs. It says, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Now this same chapter later on will talk about the importance of not being a sluggard. Do you see that? So one verse says, labor not to be rich. And then another verse talks about being a slothful person and a sluggard. Why is the Bible doing this? Why does one verse tell you to labor and then another verse tells you not to labor? Because what you, that you hit it right on the head, brother. See, you got to work, got wisdom working in you. What we have to understand is that God's word brings balance. You with me here? Okay. So you have a proverb in the book of Proverbs. Then you have what's called a counter proverb, which where the Bible says, "Labor not to be rich." Then you have another proverb that counters that, that says, "Work hard, so your needs will be met, and don't be slothful." You with me? So there's no contradiction in the Proverbs. So you have a proverb, a statement of Proverbs, then a counter-proverb because God doesn't want you to go into extremes. He wants you to live a balanced life. Okay, so let me read it to you again. Proverbs 23 and uh, verse 4. Labor not to be rich. You with me here? Cease from thine own wisdom. Okay? Now what's God talking about? You can spend so much time working that your life is out of balance. That your life doesn't have any order to it. And so that's what God is saying. He's, he's not saying don't labor. He's just saying don't labor to the point where you're out of balance in life. Where your life is out of order. There's some people, they work 80, 90 hours a week. You with me here? All, they're going after that dollar bill. But their life is complete chaos. Their life's out of order, right? But then on the other hand, you got a man that won't work for a living. Well, the Bible then condemns that. So if you don't work, New Testament says you don't work, you don't eat. So God will give you a proverb, but He gives you a counter-proverb to keep you in balance. So you and I should work, we should labor, but we shouldn't be extreme in our working and our labor because that is not wise. But people want to live the good life, but all they do is spend their time working. 
Therefore, they neglect their family. They neglect the church. Are you with me here? They neglect other important things. So God wants us to be balanced. So when we again go back over there to the book of Proverbs in 28th chapter, Better is the poor, here we go, that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. So God puts value on different things than we do. We put value on material things. We put value on how much money we have in the bank account. God puts value on how you live. Your righteousness, your godliness. Are you the kind of person that's a giver? Do you give? I mean, there's some people, they make a lot of money. Especially in Odessa, Texas, with the oil field booming like it is. Man, you can make a lot of money in the oil field today. But you know what? It's all about them. They just hoard and hoard and hoard. And what ultimately happens, brothers and sisters, they end up in huge debt. Because they're not givers. It's important to be a giver. And, and so Rockefeller, uh, when you read, study him, his life, you'll find out he changed. He had to change his approach to life. He was losing his health. He was sick in his body. Lost his hair. Lost his eyebrows, man. And then he turned that around. He started giving. And lived almost to 100 years of age because he changed his approach to life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you and I have to be careful. We want to live the good life where we have a balance in our life. Yes, work. Yes, labor. But don't be the kind of person that puts value on the dollar. Put value on your relationship with God and how you treat other people, how you take care of your family. Y'all with me here today? So this is important for us to see, all right? It gets quiet in here we start talking about things like this. Blessed is He. You're, you're more, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're a giver. I want to tell you something. If you're a giver, you're going to be a happy person. You're going to be a blessed person. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a hilarious giver. Somebody that don't, when the offering plate goes, or uh, if we're going to take an offering tonight, and I stand up here and say, we're going to take them an offering, and somebody in the congregation says, well, here they go. They're after our money again. That tells you exactly where your spirit is. God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I'm not saying anybody here is like that, but I just felt in my spirit when we took up an offering that that might have been somebody's mind. I don't have that approach to life. I love to give. My, my, my wife loves to give. And I preach to people that love to give to God. Amen. And I promise you, if you give to God, God loves a hilarious or a cheerful giver. When you give, you're excited. You can't wait to give to the Lord. You know, you're not having no miser counting your, your little coins. That, that's not the good life. The good life is to be able to give. And John Rock, I mean Rockefeller came to understand that later in his life. Amen? Okay? And I'm, I'm not saying he was a Christian. I'm just saying he understood the principles of how to live life. The, that hoarding aspect, that desire to get all this money was killing him. And he started giving it away and it brought life to him. So put value on the right things. Verse 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a company of a companion of riotous men shameth his father. How many of y'all want a happy home? You want a good and happy home? Okay. Well, 
the Bible here uh, talks about the son, but it could be a, it could be a girl. It could be anybody in the family that's disrupting the home. But especially in this sake, the Bible says that a son uh, who keeps the law uh, is a wise son. But he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. See, there's some children, no matter what you do, they're going to rebel. They're going to rebel against God. They're going to rebel against the Word of God. And they're going to hang with riotous people. Come on up, Brother Jonathan. You know I have to sit back there. You sit here. They're going to hang around with the wrong crowd. They start hanging around with the wrong crowd. They start running with the drinkers and the people that like the alcohol and like to go partying and like to go to the clubs. You see what I'm saying? Well, the Bible tells us that's, that's going to bring grief to that home. It's going to bring grief to that father. Young people, I want to tell you something. You're a wise son if you obey the Word of God. If you live by the Word of God. You don't give in to the peer pressure of this day. But you live by the Word of God. The Bible says you're a wise son. And you're going to bring happiness to that home. But if you're the kind of person, you've got a wild streak in you. You want to run with the wild people. You know what the Bible says? You're going to produce grief in life. Amen? I talked about that even last Wednesday. The kind of grief that people go through because of, of kids, I, I say, that have a wild streak in them. They just won't want to live for the Lord. And so it is important that we go by the Word of God. Whoso keepeth the law, the Word of God, is a wise son. But he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. And that goes for girls too. Verse 8, He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. So there is this defrauding. There is a fraudulent accumulation of wealth that is referred to here. A fraudulent accumulation of wealth. Now, the Scripture used the term usury. What is usury? What does that mean? That's interest. Now, there's interest that is, I would say, fair interest. The Bible doesn't teach us uh, against interest as a whole. You with me here? Jesus even talked about interest, that uh, if you sow certain things or you invest certain things, then when He comes back, He'll receive it with interest. So the Lord didn't just put a patent no on interest, but what He's showing you here is usury is high interest rates. Okay. So I would say, what is high interest rates? Well, I've studied it before. And anything above 12%, you could call usury. Okay? So if your bank or your lending institution is charging over 12%, amen, that's usury. That is considered high interest. And that, according to the Word of God, that type of interest, that high interest that's charged you is not right. Not right. It's not fair. Now, fair interest rates are okay. It's fine. You know, that's a way of investment, a way to make money. You know, you put money in a bank, you get interest on your money. If you don't, you need to change your where you deposit. You know, you're not making much, maybe 1% or 2% right now. So there's nothing wrong with you to accumulate interest. But if it's high interest rate, usually 12, above 12%, you get up a 15, 20, 25% interest rate, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. According to the Word of God, that's fraudulent. Okay? And there's credit cards that will charge 20, 25% interest. 
Now, number one, I believe that those institutions that do that, it's an unjust game. It's unjust game. Number two, I will say to you as a church, if you're paying over 12% interest on anything, you're, you're not obeying the Word of God. Okay? And that's, that's taking some time to study those numbers to figure those numbers out. But that's what I believe. 12% is it. And anybody wants to charge you above 12%, say, I can't take the loan. Okay? Because you're participating in a fraudulent, unfair, high-interest usury system that does not have the approval of God on it. Okay? And wonder why people can't get ahead. They got credit cards, man, maxed out, you know, maxed out. Been paying 15, 20, 25% interest. Are you kidding me? Man, you're barely even touching the principle. You're just making the institution rich. Are you with me here? How many of y'all want to live the good life? And stop getting in debt to these types of usury systems. Uh, you'll end up being poor. And uh, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's not a good thing. It's fraudulent. So the Bible says, He that by usury, again, that is that high interest rate, an unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. That means eventually the person that does that, that charges high interest rates, uh, eventually that money that they're accumulating is going to be given to somebody else. And God's going to make sure that that money is given to somebody else that will be willing to give. Here it is again, the word give. God wants you and I to give. Okay? And, and if you're not the kind of person that's going to give, you're the kind of person that's accumulating wealth and it's unjust wealth, God eventually is going to take that and He's going to give it to somebody that'll what? That'll give. That'll help the needy. Amen? Somebody that'll bless somebody else. And God, God can do that. So that's why I said Rockefeller was really smart to change his approach to life at 53 years of age, about to die, things are going to grave, and he changed his approach as a billionaire, started giving his money away, and had over three times uh, amount of money coming in than, than when he actually retired, because he gave. You see what I mean? So be a giver. Hallelujah. Be careful about how you accumulate death, debt. Be careful about exorbitant interest rates. Don't do that. That I don't believe God is going to uh, be favoring you if you do that. And you want the favor of God in your life. MasterCard is not your master. Jesus is your master. And I don't want to see your hand today. Uh, you're paying over 15% interest. My goodness. You're not right. You're not right. You're going to end up poverty stricken. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, that's more than you tithe. Oh man, I can't believe 10% tithe to the Lord. Well, you pay more than that in interest to the lenders. It's a MasterCard. And if you're a good tipper, you pay 20% tip. That's okay too, though. That's not, that's not wrong to do. And you drop about 10% to the Lord. Really, He gave you, you get to keep 90%. He could, have, he could have said, I want it all. 
be a giver, amen? Don't be the kind of person that gathers money unjustly uh, in, in, a, in a fraudulent approach, but the Bible says God wants you to be able to uh, use it, that He will pity the poor. Do you ever help anybody else? And I know you give to the church. I know you do. You bring a tithe and your offering to the church, but do you ever take your money and help somebody? Pity the poor. Are we givers tonight? You with me here? See, now, and the thing about it, in the time of Jesus, we're talking about ethics today. Ethics is how you live life. How you live life. Ethics, the right way to live. And in the, in the days of Jesus, man, they've, they've looked at ethics throughout history. Even people that don't believe in God study ethics. And the question is, well, what do you do with your money? Are you stingy? Or are you generous? They debate it. I'm talking about in ethics, the study of ethics, how to live life. Debate it. Should I be stingy or should I be generous? What does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us not to be stingy. The Bible teaches us to be generous. Be hilarious givers. Amen? I know you're not shouting too much, but it's the truth. It's a good life. How many know it's more blessed to give than to receive? Yeah, it is. Okay, verse 9 talks about prayer. There's some prayer God won't answer. I should have asked you the question before I read the verse. How many of y'all believe that God answers every prayer? And you would have lift your hand and say, God answers every prayer. And I will tell you, He doesn't. There is some prayer that is prayed that's an insult when it's prayed. And the reason it's an insult is because it's prayed by the person who has no, uh, uh, no desire to obey the Word of God. You've got somebody that doesn't have any desire to keep the covenant of God, doesn't have any desire to obey the Lord, right? But they're going to pray. And then they pray and nothing happens. And here you are as a believer, you look at it and say, well, so-and-so prayed, nothing happened. Are they living for the Lord? Verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, that's the Word of God, even his prayers shall be an abomination. You with me here? The person who's in sin against God, refuses to live for the Lord and obey God, goes to God in prayer. God's not obligated to hear that prayer. I'm not saying He won't. That's up to God. That's not up to me. Amen? But according to the Word of God, there are certain people who live a disobedient, rebellious life and know better. God's not going to hear their prayer. He's going to close their ears, the ears to them. Okay, look at John 9 and 31 in the New Testament. Remember that blind man that was healed? When the blind man was healed, the uh, religious leaders asked the question, why was this man blind? Who sinned? Was it, did he sin or did his parents sin? One evangelist, I forget his name, said that's the stupidest question asked in the New Testament. <laughs> and I agree with him. You think about it. 
He didn't elaborate, but he said that's the stupidest question in the New Testament. Think about it. I thought about that. How is that the stupidest question? They said, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Well, the Bible says he was born blind. So how could it be his sin if he was born that way? This is the stupidest question asked in the New Testament. Right? Jesus go and the explanation from the Lord is, neither he nor his parents. This man wasn't blind because of some sin that he committed or his parents committed, but for the glory of God. So that God was going to heal him and God would get the glory. So it wasn't because of some sin in his life. But here's what the blind man said. Amen. When he gave testimony. Verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, he heareth him. See, even that blind man understood that God doesn't hear sinners. The only, let me just put it this way, the only prayer of a person that's living in sin that God has obligated himself to hear is the prayer of repentance. You go to God and you ask God to forgive you of your sin. God said that He would hear that prayer and He would forgive you of your sin. But that's the only prayer that God has obligated Himself to hear from the sinner. And that is the prayer of repentance. Amen? Go to the book of James. James chapter 1. We see a reason why prayer is not answered. If somebody's carnal. Okay, New Testament, still in the New Testament. James chapter 1. While you're turning there, just read verse 5, covering what we've already talked If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It shall be given him. God come down if you don't understand, right? Okay. Verse 8. Or verse 6 again. But let him ask in faith, say ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wa wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you got somebody that's back and forth in living for the Lord. You know, they're carnal and just they're, they're double-minded means a two-soul person. Their heart's divided. They're not in it. They're not totally in it for the Lord. They're just kind of divided in their heart, Right? Half in the world, half in the church. The Bible says a double-minded man, unstable in all their ways. Let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. James chapter 4. See, God wants us to come in faith, doesn't He? Still in the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 3.
He said, you ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Sometimes you go to, to God in prayer and you pray for something and he says, you're asking amiss. That means it's not according to the will of God. And so God's not going to answer that prayer. Amen. You with me here? Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible talks about Esau. He was a profane man. Well, the scripture tells us he sought repentance with tears. And he couldn't find it. And it wasn't that, that he was trying to change. He was trying to change God's mind about the consequences. God said, I'm not going to change my mind about the consequences. You lost your birthright. Okay? By your life. So we, we see, do you understand what I'm saying here by the word of God today? Let's go to Deuteronomy 143. I believe that God's a good God and He wants to answer prayer. But there's some things that hinder that. And that's a, a disobedient heart, walking in carnality and praying just so we'll get what we want. Not to, to be in the will of God. Living the double life. Okay, Deuteronomy 140. Let's start with 42. The Lord said unto me, saying to them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest you be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and went presumptuously up into the hill. So they presumed to do something. They really sinned against God with a high hand. God told them not to go up, and they went anyway. Verse 44, the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you and chased you as bees do and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And you returned not and wept before the Lord. Excuse me, and you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. So you abode in Kadesh many days according unto the days that you abode there. These people had an evil heart of unbelief. God told them to go up and possess the land, and they had an evil heart of unbelief. And so God says, as a result of that, judgment's coming. You can't go in the land. They said, well, go. You know, when they found out the consequence, they went, but God wasn't with them. So they came back, man. They were crying and whining because they disobeyed God, and, you know, defeat came. Now they're trying to pray now. I said, I'm not going to listen to you. So go back to Proverbs 28 and verse 9 again. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, shall be an abomination. So there's some, some prayer that God doesn't answer. And brothers and sisters, it's not just the prayer of a sinner person. It's a person who is not in a right relationship with his God or her God. Let's go to Revelation 15. I'll go one more. Revelation 15, and I've taught the book of Revelation to you many times, but uh, when you get into the book of Revelation, the 15th chapter, we have a time when the judgments of God are going to be poured out on the earth. These are called the bowls of wrath. And this is the worldwide judgment of God, bowls of wrath right at the time of His second coming to the earth. And in Revelation chapter 15, if you'll go there, 
Brother, I want you to read verse verse 8 for me. Okay. Okay. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from His power. And no man able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. You see that? In the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about a time when the temple of God is going to be shut. And nobody's going to be able to go into that temple. Now that means you won't have access to the presence of God during that time. Amen? Why? Because the judgments of God are being poured out on the earth. And so what God is showing you is that the prayers of those people, that the judgment of God is coming upon at that time, they're not going to be heard. He's showing you that by saying, I shut the temple. So there's no access to God when the sinner man prays that time. It'll be too late. See, there's, there's a, a time when somebody can pray, but the prayer is too late. Amen? That's a dangerous place to be in. That, that's when you get into place what the Bible calls being a reprobate. That means you've gone so far away from God into a place but prayers of the sinner. You know, are you with me? But see, this verse in Proverbs 28, verse 9 applies to us right now. Not just a future time. I don't want to scare you to death, but these things come in my spirit. I've People that play games with God, in and out of the church, in and out of the church, in and out of the church, progressively what can happen to them is they can become reprobate. Now, when a person is in and out of the church, it didn't start that way. What happened is they become dead in the pew. They, they neglect their relationship to God. They, they neglect their prayer life. Amen. Amen. And they die spiritually on the pew before they ever leave. You with me here? And so, what happens is, rare occasions, thank God it's not very often, but rare occasions, a person crosses a line, it's called what we call the point of no return. They become reprobate. Amen? I remember a preacher preaching this message about a young girl came in, was in and out of the church, going in and out of the church, and just playing games with God, and you know, running with the riotous gang, the riotous people that I talked about in another verse. And she'd go to the bars and hang out with the with the those people, and uh, she'd go to church. She'd go back out in the bars. And she said one night, this is her own out of her own mouth, she said one night she was fixing to step across the threshold into that bar. And she heard God say to her, if you do it, you'll never feel my spirit ever again. And so her own testimony, according to this preacher, she stepped in, she went ahead and stepped into that bar and she said as soon as she did, she felt God leave her. She went back to church. She went to the altar. She lifted her hands before God, crying out to God. And that preacher said, she screamed out. He said, I have never heard anybody scream like that before in my life. I've never heard a scream like that before in my life. She screamed out, I can't feel God anymore.
So that's why it's important, brothers and sisters, that that we live not a, the kind of life that is a covenant-breaking kind of a life, a secret life, a double life. You know, we come to church with one thing and we leave with something else. You know, be faithful to what you say. Pastor, you're scaring me. Brother, brothers and sisters, I want to share something with you. The Word of God talks about the fear of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, God uses fear to encourage you and I to stay on the right path. It talks about His love. It talks about His encouragement to us. Brothers and sisters, God used, I'll put it to you this way, the gamut of emotion. Whether it be love or fear, amen, encouragement, He uses every bit of it, all of them, to, to keep us on the straight and narrow path and walking with Him. If God brings you a message of comfort, then be thankful for that. If God brings a message of love to you, be thankful for that. If God brings a message of, of judgment that puts fear in your heart, be thankful for that. Because God uses the gamut of all those emotions to keep us on the right road. Amen. If you're here tonight, if you're here tonight, I'm not your judge, only God is. But I can say this, if you're here tonight, I don't believe you crossed that line. Because if you had crossed that line, I don't think you would even want to be here. Okay? Where the prayer is not even heard. Uh, I remember years and years ago when I first got in the church, I was sitting in the office with the secretary of the company that I was working at. And uh, we started talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, the un, what, what's called the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin. And we just sitting her and I there, we were talking about it, and all of a sudden, she just started crying, man. Just broke down. And I, I said, what's wrong? She said, I believe that I have committed that sin the unpardonable sin. I blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And I hadn't been living for the Lord a long time, but I knew a little bit about the Word of God and I told her. I said, I don't believe you've committed that sin. She said, why? I said, because you would not be crying like now, weeping right now, in concern if you had crossed that line. Because if you, if you ever cross that line, there won't be no tears. You might scream like that girl did, but there won't be no tears of sorrow. She had tears of sorrow and she was concerned that she crossed that line. And I told her, I said, I don't believe you've crossed that line. Amen. So it's important, brothers and sisters, that you and I, that according to the Word of God, that we keep covenant with the Lord, that we're not unstable. Too, Two soul people, you know, where we got, we got really our commitments and our concerns and, and our focus in life is out there. You know what I mean? Out there in the world. And God's sort of on the back burner. Amen. Now, I believe if we're covenant keeping people and we're faithful to the Lord, the Bible will hear that prayer. He will hear your prayer. Y'all believe that today? How many of your prayers have been heard? I believe that God will hear our prayers. 
And, and prayers, and I'm going to say it again, you need to thank God if you fear tonight. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm teaching you the Word. Because God uses the gamut of all emotion to keep us on the straight and narrow. Okay? Amen? But God will hear, hear your prayer. And prayer is a mystery. How prayer works is a mystery. I don't understand it. I know what we're doing. I know we're going before God and praying, but I don't know how it works. It's a mystery. You think about it. How God answers prayer. There's so, it's so complex. You've got one person praying to be healed of a disease. You've got another place, a person praying to get through the disease. It's complex. Sometimes God hears the prayer and answers and heals the disease. Sometimes God helps the person through the disease. It's a mystery. Prayer is a mystery. Brothers and sisters, they can't, they can't figure it out in the realm of psychology. They know it works, but they can't figure it out. I'm talking about Christian psychologists. I'm not talking about the worldly psychologists who leave this, the realm of the spirit out. That's the worldly psychologist. There's the realm of the spirit. They don't even deal with that. Well, that's the most important one to deal with. Okay. But I'm talking about Christian psychologists. They, they don't know how it works. They just know it works. It works. And today, if you don't know the Lord, you can know the Lord. You can ask God, come before Him. He died for you on the cross. You can come to Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sin. He'll forgive you of your sin. And brother said, you could go down in water and have your sins washed away in the name of Jesus and come out of that water and be filled with the Holy Ghost and become His child. Be a part of the covenant. And when you live for the Lord, God will hear your prayer, Mother. He'll hear your prayer, Father. He'll hear the prayer of a child. And it's just a mystery how it works, but it works. Amen? That, that's, a, that's a medicine you can't put in a bottle. And it's, it's, it's a mystery you can't figure out. I, and I don't know how it works, really. I just, I do it. How many of y'all do it? You pray. And it works, doesn't it? It just works. Don't know how, but it does. God's a good God. Amen? So we don't have to be in verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers shall be an abomination. We don't have to be that person. Hallelujah. Amen. And now, again, these statements are general statements, and I'm not going to lock God into uh, a box here in this one verse. God can answer whoever He wants to answer. <laughs> in His sovereignty... You might not even know God. Before you ever became a born-again believer, you might not even have known God, and you lifted up your voice to pray one time, and you know God heard that prayer. And you're saying, Pastor, I, I'm not even a born-again believer, and I'm living in the world, but I know God heard my prayer that day. Let me tell you why He did. Because in His sovereignty, He saw a time when you'd come and sit in a church house, 
He saw a time when you would repent of your sin and get baptized in His name and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so his, his, his omniscience, His ability to know the future and His sovereignty, He said, I'm going to answer that prayer even though I'm not obligated to do it because they're not in covenant with me because I know someday they will be. That's why I say I'm not going to try to lock God into this one verse. This is a general statement. Are you here today? God's a good God. I mean, can you imagine what the world would be like if there were if God shut the heavens up and there were no answer to prayer? Do you realize if, if you could not pray, there'd be no healing. If you could not pray, no forgiveness of sin. If you can't pray, there's no, no ability to repent. No healing, no deliverance. Are with me here? No salvation. No forgiveness of sin. If we didn't have the ability to pray, God's a good God. So, I believe He's in prayer answering God. Hallelujah. I prayed for the worship service tonight. And I came out of here and Sister Nicole was anointed tonight like she always is, but I, I mean in an exceptional way tonight. Just worshiping and praising God and you could feel the presence of the Lord. And I know, she didn't know it, but I prayed a prayer for her. And, and I know God answered that prayer. And I know she prayed before she got up here. You know what I'm saying. But it says God answers prayer. And, and the end of the devil wants to come to you and tell you God's not going to hear you. That he doesn't care, but he does. He's a prayer. Only, I say rare, on rare occasions, does God not answer the prayer. And this is the one. One of few of the other ones I talked to you about as well. But I'm thankful tonight that God hears prayer. I need prayer. I need God, man. I, I'm a human being, you know. You know. People that teach Bible college, they, they talk to their students and they say things like this. You read those commentators, but just remember, they're just commentators. It means they're just like you. Just commentators. And when I stand up and teach the Word of God to you, I'm just a commentator. I'm, I'm sorry, but I mean, you know. You talk about, that's, that's country preaching right there. <laughs> okay? But I'm just a commentator. I'm just like you. I need God. That. You know, he don't, he don't roll out the red carpet for me when he sees me walking in the prayer room. <laughs> I walk in the prayer room the same way you do. Alright? I'm just a commentator. You start thinking you're more than that, then you're wrong. You know what a commentator is, right? Don't you? We need God. And I'm thankful tonight that He hears our prayer. We should pray more. Amen. But we, 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 we're unstable. You know, we're double-minded. And we don't come to Him in faith. We did. God would move mountains for us. Okay, I gotta get going here. I'm going. Verse 10, whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit but the upright shall have good things in possession. See, you got 
You got people that influence other people. And according to the Word of God, you and I should influence people right, for righteous reasons. We should influence them to live godly. We should influence them to live holy. But there are also people that influence other people in a bad way. They, they influence, and, and their influence is to cause them to go astray from the Lord. Now, the Bible tells you that's a very dangerous place for you to put yourself in. You're influencing people for good, or you're influencing people for evil. You're influencing people to live for the Lord, or you're influencing people to go astray from God's holy word. And the Bible says if you're that kind of a person, if you influence people to go astray, he said the pit you dug, you're going to fall in your own pit. You're going to fall in your own hole. And the pit you fall in, brothers and sisters, is going to be a lot bigger and a lot deeper than the hole you dug for somebody else. So before you start making decisions to try to influence somebody's life in, an, in, a, in a bad way, you better think twice. Because God said, i got a hole waiting for you. You and I are either influencing people for righteousness and godliness and holiness, or we're influencing them for ungodliness and causing people to go astray and fall in the pit. The Bible says, but the upright shall have good things in possession. I'm thankful for that. Verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. You know, the rich man, he, he thinks he's got money. You know, you, you know, some rich people, not all rich people, thankfully, not all rich people walk around prideful and arrogant. There's some rich people you wouldn't even know they're rich. They're, they're humble people, okay? But there's some people that, uh, rich, they get money, man, something happens to them. You let some people, man, they were humble. They were humble before, but all of a sudden they get money and they're not humble anymore. They get full of themselves. They get, they, they're full of self-importance. It'd be better, the previous verse we looked at, it'd be better for you to be poor and humble than to be rich and prideful. Amen. There's something that happens to people when money gets in the picture. See, I, I don't necessarily believe that uh, a life that has suffering and a life that has uh, um, need is always a bad thing. I think your greatest test is not a lack of money. I think our greatest test is if when we get money. Because money's dangerous, man. It can mess you up. It causes you to try start being independent, full of yourself, self-importance. Walk around that way, you know. And but the Bible says something about the poor man. It's very interesting. He says he knows what that man's all about. Sometimes the poor man can look at the rich man and discern exactly what he's about. 
He uncovers him. He knows him. Yeah, I know what that man's about. You know? That's what the Scripture's saying. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. His pride, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. He exposes him for what he really is. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And the person has understanding somebody that knows the Word of God. This for the Lord. Verse 12, the, when righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. Amen. And you got some people that are righteous in leadership. Everybody's rejoicing because they're being led down the right path. But you let some cruel dictator become a leader. The Bible said you're going to be hiding for your life. You're going to be looking for a place of security and safety. You know, there's people that are that are ruling in this world, horrible dictators. If you're a Christian, you got to hide. Amen. Because those those leaders are not righteous. When we were over in Taiwan a few weeks ago, you know, uh, Brother Edmonds pulled out a paper, Taiwanese paper. And in that Taiwanese paper, it talked about the church in China is under heavy persecution right now. Heavy persecution. They're paying a really big price in the mainland to be a Christian. So they got to go underground. They got to hide, brothers and sisters. Now, I want to tell you, when I say Christians in China are being persecuted, I want you to know who I'm talking about. The majority of Christians, underground Christians in, in the mainland, are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like you. The majority of them. And they have to go underground. Hide, as this verse says, hide from that persecution, brothers and sisters. I have seen pictures of where they took Chinese, a Chinese brother of your mind, Christian, and beat him and beat him and beat him. Black eyes beat all over their body just for being a Christian. And that, that's because of these ungodly rulers and leaders. Now, Brother Emmons told me the president of China, his name Chi, he's a, a, a fairly decent individual, but the, the uh, military, the military puts pressure on him. Okay? And so the bad influence comes with, from the communistic military that's over there. Okay? So you, need, you and I need to pray. You and I, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in, in the mainland that are being... I, he, he showed it to me. While I was there in Taiwan, He showed me the paper that persecution in China is increasing right now. So you, you and I need to be thankful tonight that you live in a free country. Thank God that we can come to church and nobody's beating down the doors and taking us off to jail or, or you know, beating us with rods and, and things like that. Amen. That Christian pastor just got released out of Turkey. He was thrown in a small cell. I think he said there was like 12 men in that cell 
you know, it was sell for how many? 22 men? Maybe I'm wrong on the number. It's a 22. You say, okay. I think it's a sell for only a couple of people. You say 22. Uh, so she's pretty smart. She's pretty good about reading the news. So that's a, that's a small cell to have that many people in that cell. And he was in that thing for over a year. And he was a missionary to Turkey for over 20 years. Just one day they decided to say, you're a terrorist. Picked him up, threw him in jail. And he got to see his wife, I think, once a week. Short period of time, once a week. They just let him out. And mostly because of the president that you have right now. He just has a, a fight in him to try to help the Christians. He does. Okay? And I have a video clip that was sent to me. I don't think I still have it, but a video clip was sent to me by a sister in the Lord that when Donald Trump, the President of the United States, met with the religious leaders not too long ago, in private. He didn't want it recorded. He didn't want it out. Somebody recorded it, though. Videoed it. Recorded it. Uh, he said to the religious leaders of this nation, he said, the midterm election is extremely important because if it falls into the wrong hands, he said, it is a referendum, uh, referendum against the church. So we need to pray about this up coming midterm election not too long away far off that the right people get in office and you know we need to go and vote vote amen because the wrong people get in office you know who's going to suffer first Christians and you got a president right now that's fighting for you that's trying to help you Amen. Now he may turn his turn around and go a different direction in the future, but for right now, I'm saying. So you you we need to be awake. We do not, as a church, need to be going to sleep right now in the United States of America. You need to wake up and start understanding that your world is a little bigger than your little your own little family. That we need to be praying and we need to be voting. Praise God. For the right leaders to be put in office because the Senate and the House is up. And that's where the power is ultimately. The power is not with the President of the United States. Ultimately, the power is with the Senate and the House. He can only do so much as a president. So the election is coming up for the, for the Senate and the House. So you need to pray and you need to vote. Every one of you. And if you don't have your voting card or whatever, you need to get that. And you need to vote so that your freedoms don't, aren't taken away from you. That's what's happening right now. You, people, brother, sister, are trying to take your freedoms away. you got somebody that's trying to fight for you right now. So do your part. Your part. Amen. So when righteous, men do, when righteous men do rejoice, there's great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. you got to hide. Because you're in danger. Living in America, I've never had to do that. I've never had to go hide from my faith. I've never had to worry about authorities coming and taking me and throwing me in jail and telling me I'm a terrorist. Okay? But that man knelt down, asked Brother, uh, Brother Trump, 
asked President Trump if he could pray for him. And that man laid down, uh, knelt down, missionary, knelt down and prayed. He said his wife had a vision that she was going to pray prayer over Donald Trump. And Donald Trump allowed him to pray for him on camera. And that man that was in prison in Turkey, who was recently released, got down on his knees and prayed. You know what he prayed? That God would use Donald Trump to lead this nation in the path of righteousness. Okay? And Donald Trump let him pray for him. There's power in prayer. We, so we're, we're in a very critical time right now as a church and as a nation. So I'm going to sound the alarm tonight that you need to understand it's more than your own little world. Okay? Praise the Lord. Verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's true repentance. If you confess them and forsake them, you'll have mercy. Right? 1 John 1 and 9. What does it say? Would you get it for me? Y'all know that verse? You should know it. Well, 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, He is what? To do what? And? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So if you confess your sin, He'll forgive you. What did we say to you Sunday? If a man covers his sin, God will uncover that sin. A man that uncovers his sin, God will cover it. It's what you do with the sin. Amen? You confess it. The Bible says before the Lord, read it, brother. First John 1. Are you got it, brother? Which one? Okay. If we... Yes. Brothers and sisters, if you forsake your sin, the Bible says, if you confess it and forsake it, what will He do? Well, and that's what it says in the New Testament, right? It says, He, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. In the Old Testament, He was only covered. You said it. He doesn't just cover it. He removes it. Are you with me? But so you'll understand the importance and if you sin against God, go to God and confess it to Him. Repent. But you don't just say, okay, Lord, forgive me for what I did. The Bible says true repentance is to confess it and what? Forsake it. That's true repentance. We'll go back doing it again. Okay? Amen? What an awesome promise in the Word of God. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The man's standing in front of you. Amen? And I know what to do. David knew what to do when he sinned against God. He was a man after God's own heart. He knew what to do with his sin. He took it to God said, God, I've sinned against you. You know? He didn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba. He didn't say, I sinned against Uriah. He said, I sinned against you, God. God forgave him. So I hold on to that promise. True repentance. Verse 14. 
Happy is the man that feareth. Oh, wow, there's a, there's a happiness in certain kind of fear. Right? You say, happiness? How can you be happy and be fearful at the same time? There is a fear, brothers and sisters, that bring happiness. And what is that fear? It's the highest level of wisdom. It's to fear God. When you fear the Lord, it'll bring happiness to your life. I want to read, I brought this up here just to read this to you. Atheists, people who, who, who say uh, they don't believe that there is a God, you know. There is no God. Atheist. Do uh, you think they're happy? Think they're happy? Maybe sometimes they act like they are, right? Well, this is a well-known atheist of this century. Um, his name is Bertrand Russell. Here's what he says. He says, No God leads to grief, sorrow, and depression. That's That came out of the mouth of a man who says there is no God. And what he has found in his life is grief, sorrow, and depression. You with me? Now, the Bible says here, happy is the man that feareth always. You fear God, you'll be happy. You, you try to live like there is no God. See, there's some people, there's some people who say with their mouth, I don't believe there's a God. But then there's some people who are called practical atheists. Practical atheists live like there is no God. They'll say with their mouth, I believe that there's a God, but they live like there is no God. So practically, they're an atheist. That's the truth. So if you want to be happy, then fear God. When you start losing your fear of God, you're going to fall into depression and sorrow and grief. That came out of the mouth of an atheist. Amen? I believe the Word of God. There, how many of y'all be happy? Then be afraid. <laughs> then fear. But fear God. There is a happiness that comes with that. Because if you fear God, man, it'll cause you to stop sinning. Right? How many of y'all want to be happy? You want a good life? You want the good life? Or do you want to be all depressed and grieving and sorrow all the time? Well, that's, that's the, 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 out of the mouth of an atheist. And I believe the Word of God over the mouth of the atheist. <laughs> You'll be happy if you fear the Lord. Say praise God. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. I know I'm going, I need to pick it up here so you don't go to sleep on me. Amen. How many of you ever heard of Stephen, Steve Jobs? Anybody ever heard of Steve Jobs? Are you techies? Who was Steve Jobs? Then he, then he, wasn't he the founder of Apple computer and Apple iPhone? Uh, Steve Jobs, he's, he's dead. In case you don't know that. He's dead. But, but Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was what some 
theologians call an optimist, optim, op, optimistic atheist. <laughs> he was an atheist, but an optimistic atheist in this, in this sense that he thought that technology was the answer. He trusted, he trusted not in the power of God, but he trusted in the power of technology. And he believed as an op optimistic atheist that technology would make the world a better place. And there's a lot of people that are walking down that path. Man, they got that phone 24-7, literally. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, their world is made better by the power of technology. Now, I'm not cursing technology, but that was Steve Jobs. He was an optim optimistic atheist. He was a Buddhist, a Buddhist, amen, a Buddhist by conviction, but a, really an atheist. Because let me just say this to you. If you're a Buddhist or a, a Hindu or uh, follow the dictates of Confucius or the Stoics or Epicureanism, whatever, and I'm just going to run through those real quick, you know what? In the book of Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul says, No man seeks God. No man seeks God. What do you mean by that? No man seeks God. I mean, no man seeks the true living God. There in Athens, he said, I walked by and I saw this, this plate over here. It was dedicated to the unknown, unknown God. And Paul said, Him I declare unto you. And his name's Jesus. I tell you, he said, I want to preach the, the true God to you. But he's, what he's saying to them, no man seeks God. What is he talking about? Well, the, the, the Greeks had hundreds and literally thousands of gods. Every pursuit of life had a God. Every pursuit of life. There was the God of war, the God or goddess of sex, the God of drunkenness and reverie. You with me here? Every pursuit of life had a God. But Paul said, no man seeks God. So when the Buddhists, so-called Buddhists over in Taiwan get together, and we've seen them in their temples, they're not seeking God. You know what the Buddhists seek? Enlightenment. They don't seek God. Confucius didn't seek God. Confucius led people to... Uh, it's to seek authority, to surrender to authority in life. Okay? The Stoics, they didn't seek God. They were seeking a, a way to overcome desire. How to handle pain when it came to you. Just don't, just refuse to let pain in your life. You know? Just, just overcome your desires, your emotion. Epicureans eat and drink for tomorrow we die trying to find pleasure. But what I'm just trying to say real quickly is that all of these so-called religious systems weren't seeking God. No man seeks God. They were seeking either happiness or a way to avoid pain in their life or enlightenment, those kinds of things. There's only one God. And so even though Stephen Jobs came would say by conviction he was a Buddhist. 
He was an atheist. He trusted in the power of technology. And he said, before he died, he said, you know, he said, death is not a bad thing. He said, if, if people die, he said, that makes room for other people to be here. If they die, that makes room for new ideas. Okay? You talk about optimistic, man. <laughs> I wonder if he feels that way right now. <laughs> you know? He probably don't feel that way right now. He's not too optimistic right now. But see, that the fear is, is to be happy. That's why I said earlier today, you know, people, man, today they want to talk about the judgment of God and they don't talk about fear. It's all about the love of God. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You need the whole Word of God. You need encouragement. You need to know God loves you. You need to have a fear of God in your life. You need all of it. I need every bit of it. And I need to preach the whole counsel of God to you because if I do, man, we'll listen to God and hopefully we'll make it to heaven. Amen? Somebody said, praise the Lord. So to fear God, man, these, these other religions don't get you there. Don't bring happiness to your life. Amen. Happy is the man that feareth always. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You start stop fearing God. And your next step is going to be right into evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? The beginning, Proverbs 1, the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why didn't God say the love of God is the beginning of wisdom? He said the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know why? Because He knows that you and I need to be have a fear in our heart or we won't stop sinning. He knows that you have to get to a place in your life where you recognize He's God and I'm not. That you've got to get to a place in your life where you recognize that you need God. And the fear of God is what will motivate you to seek God. You know that hell's waiting. Judgment's there. See, the, the, those that understand. The righteous understand justice or judgment, man. I know judgment day's coming. i got to prepare right now. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom, not the love of God. Thank God for the love of God. But I need to fear of God. You can tell when somebody fears God. You can also tell when somebody don't fear God. They're not worried about judgment. I'm not in heaven yet. Man, I think about it. Amen. He'd fear God. As a roaring lion and raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. These rulers we talked about already, they're just like animals, man. They're like a, a lion, a roaring lion, or a, rage, a raging bear. Just like animals, some of them. Verse 16, the princes that want to understand it is also a great oppressor, but he that hated the covetousness shall prolong his day. Verse 17, a man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. When God is saying there's certain people that 
commit certain sins in their life, don't you dare try to go and deliver those people when they get in trouble. The righteous understand justice. The righteous understand judgment. What I mean by that is that there's going to be consequences that come to people's lives. And you over there trying to get them out of it and deliver them out of it and all that stuff, you have to, you, then you don't understand justice. Because if somebody does something wrong, how many of y'all know if you do something wrong, there's some consequences you gotta pay? And you say, okay, I just accept it, you know? Not gonna try to make excuses for myself. I did wrong. I have a consequence. Gotta pay the consequence. I accept the consequence. Cause the righteous understand justice. You know, sometimes when something wrong's done, there has to be a consequence. And for you to go in there to stay the person or to try to deliver them is wrong. And remember, that's a general statement. There's balance, though. Come. Sometimes you do go and help somebody out of a dilemma. But we're talking about a specific situation here. Here are the specific situation. A man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man say him. Specifically, what's he saying? You got somebody that's murdered somebody, killed somebody? You don't go and deliver them. There's a, there has to be a consequence for that. Verse 18. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. How many of y'all want to be saved? Then walk upright. That's really the ultimate goal of ethics. The way to live is to how to live as a Christian. How to be more like God. Amen? Be like God. To know God and to be like God is, is really the goal. So I want to walk uprightly and I'll be saved. But he that is perverse his way shall fall at once. You're going to backslide. You'll fall. You're going to backslide, man. You're perverse. Uh, verse 19, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Right? Again. So, we got somebody that's diligent. The importance of diligence. Tilling the land, preparing the land, so there'll be plenty to eat. Right? Another picture of being diligent. If we're not diligent, poverty's coming. How many of y'all have seen, I'm not, I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not mad at anybody. I just ask the question. How many of y'all have seen some people that do nothing for themselves? They, they won't own responsibility for their life. They won't do anything for themselves. You know? Well, the Bible said what's going to happen to that person? They're going to come to poverty, man. They're going to have a place to live. They're going to have food to eat. They just don't. They just don't have diligence about them to take responsibility for their life and to do something about it. They just do nothing. So plow the field. Don't be idle. Verse twenty: A faithful man shall abound with blessing, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. We've already talked about that, right? Quick. Get rich quick schemes, you know. 
If it comes quick, it'll go quick. How many know? And I know I'm getting long. I'm almost done. But how many know if it comes quick, it'll go quick? That's just the way it is, man. If it's, if it's hard to come to you, it's, it's going to be hard for you, hard to go. It's the way it is, man. If it comes easy, boom. It just, that's why these people, they do the little scratch off thing, win a million dollars or a billion dollars, right? And you find out in a few years they're bankrupt. How in the world could they become bankrupt? It's because they didn't have the skill set to manage the money once they got it. See what I'm saying? Okay? So, we've got to be careful about Understand life, brothers and sisters. God's wanting you to have a good life, but you need to understand that you might have right now, but it might be gone tomorrow. So you have to prepare. Amen. It won't always be. Sometimes it'll go. Okay, verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, considereth not that his poverty shall come upon him. Doesn't think he'll ever... Man, it happens to so many people. Wealthy people, business owners end up in poverty. Say they got a son that goes crazy, goes wild, and is, gets into alcoholism and spends all the, all the money he's got and all the money they got. And a wealthy mom and dad end up being poverty stricken over a child that's gone wayward happens. Verse 23, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with his tongue. Amen. You know, there's some people, they just, for the sake of avoiding all conflict, they won't ever correct. I just don't want to get into it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that, you know. I don't want to stand up and and contend with a person. But the Bible says, you know what happened? If you will look, you be courageous and tell, and I'm talking about people that you should tell. I'm not talking about like you got authority to go tell everybody how to live their life. You start doing that, you start meddling, you know what the Bible says? You're grabbing the dog by the ear. You're going to get bit. Okay? So you have to look at the circle that you're responsible for and you have to have enough courage to look at them and say, that's wrong. That don't mean everybody. This means the circle you're responsible for. Okay? Now, if you do that, what's going to happen is they're probably going to, at some point, give you a big hug. Because you're a faithful friend. You care about them. You told them, you know, you need to stop doing that. You need to get off those drugs. You need to get off that alcohol. You need to get some help. Well, I, I tried to go and get my brain shocked and I tried to go get surgery on my brain and try to get them to fix my brain. That don't work. You know what you need? You need a support system of accountability. You need some people around you. They'll say, hey, you're my friend. I care about you. How's it going in your life? We want to help you get through this addiction you've got. See, you need a church. You need a church family. That's what you need. That, that'll help you. And, and those people that'll, that'll hold you accountable and give you support. Hallelujah. 
And that's this church right here. We got people that are like that. They love you, care about you, but it holds you accountable for your life and support you. Try to get you through, through some things. I promise you, if you get help, eventually you're going to help those people that have, you're going to hug those people that have told you the truth. Amen. How many of you ever seen strange, strange situation? You spank your child, and as soon as you spank your child, your child wants to give you a big kiss. Isn't it strange how that works? But on the other hand, there's also another strange thing. And that is if you never correct your child, you never rebuke them, you never spank them, they hate you. And you wonder why they don't want to have anything to do with you, why they hate you. It's because there's something even in a child that knows that if my mama don't care enough about me to correct me, she don't care about me. My daddy either. That's why it's in it's inbred. It's why God wired wired you when you were born for relationships. He he wired you to know that if somebody uh, corrects you, that person cares about me. God wired you that way. And if you don't receive correction, what that person's saying to you, I don't care about you, and you know that, and that child knows that. You let a child be spoiled. Let them have whatever they want to. Give them every toy they want in the store. You know what you're going to get? You're going to get a, a kid that hates you. you got to look at it sometimes and say, no. It's not good for me to let you have everything you want. And then they throw their fit. Don't let them win. Amen. I know. I know. I'm getting long-winded, but I'm trying to help you. Okay. But that's the truth. He that rebuke the man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattered with his tongue. See, flattery is telling something, telling somebody there's something they're not. Right? That's flattery. And they know it. You tell somebody and they know it's not true, but they, they know you're flattering them, that you're saying something. You're saying something to them they know is not true. That's flattery. It's not a compliment. Flattery is saying something about somebody that's not true. Normally it has an ulterior motive to it. So it's better to rebuke the, the person when they need it. Verse 24, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith it is no transgression, the same is a, command, a companion of a destroyer. You rob mom and dad of their money, you're a thief. The Bible says you're a thief. You're a companion of a destroyer. Amen. None of you kids have ever done that, have you? Gone over there and got a dollar out of the mama's wallet and put it in your pocket. No, one dollar is a hundred dollars. <laughs> you want know, a hundred dollar bill, man. Right? I remember one time, I can tell I'm getting older. I'm starting to tell you all these stories of my life. That's bad, man. 
when a preacher starts getting old, he starts telling all these stories of his life that's bad. Okay. But I remember a long time when I, I wasn't very old, and uh, my aunt and uncle blamed me for money that they lost out of their purse, or out of their, you know, whatever, their purse or their wallet. Said, you stole that. We know you stole that. But I didn't steal it. And I'm telling you the truth before God, I didn't steal it. But they said, you stole that money. And I said, no, I didn't. And they said, well, we heard that you wanted to take your girlfriend to the rodeo. And you probably stole that money so you could take your girlfriend to the rodeo. I said, I didn't steal it. And to this day, are you with me? I think they still believe I stole it. And I didn't steal it. Man, I couldn't get them to believe me for nothing. But I promise you, I'm telling you right now, the church that I pastor, I did not steal that money. But every once in a while, you know, a kid will reach it down in and get, get some money. And mom said, where'd that $20 bill, bill go? That's not a good thing. Amen? You want a happy life? Don't do that. <laughs> you want an unhappy life, at least for a short time, steal money from mom or dad. I promise you, they, they'll take care of business. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. I believe that, don't you? Humility versus pride. Verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. This person trusts God. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. So this again, once again, goes back to that thing we've been talking about in these verses, many of them, is be a giver. God wants you to be a giver. Help the poor. I believe the Word of God today. I don't want to curse in my life. When the wicked rise, again, we go back to that verse again, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. So I pray the Lord's Word has been a blessing to you tonight. Let's stand. Thank you for me, me long-suffering tonight to hear the Word of God. You know how I know when you're starting to get tired? When I'm starting to get tired. <laughs> but it's it's work. You know, it's work to preach the Word. It's work to to study the Word. It's work. It is. And uh, let, me, let me tell you something about this Bible. We talk about studying the Word of God. But do you know really when we open the Bible and we read it or we preach it, the Bible's studying us. It's studying us. And it's saying to us, conform your life to it. So we've been studied by the Word of God tonight. I pray that you've been studied well. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Lord, to be upon your people tonight. God, help us to go back over and reread these verses and apply them to our hearts that we might know how to have a good life. We want a good life, a happy life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.